Yeah, so they're not doing the uh, youth this Friday because they're doing a gender reveal, which apparently, since I had my last kid, that's a thing now. I don't even know that became a thing before it was, it's revealed when you look at the ultrasound. You're like, oh, wow, it's a boy or a girl. But now it's apparently a much of a thing, and I've already gotten in trouble for making fun of it, so I will not make more fun of it. Luckily, we're in a marriage small group, so that is actually we're leading a marriage small group. So I've learned to use all the tools I've learned about don't make fun of the gender reveal thing when it's important to your wife, all right? But um, yeah, that's a thing now. The world is crazy, amen? And uh, so let's, uh, yeah, the world is crazy. That's one of the signs. That's one of the signs that we've lost our mind is that we're doing these parties. But you've also seen in the news, and I do make, I do make a joke about that, but there's a lot of stuff going in the world that's not funny. And I'll be honest, as I was getting ready for this weekend, it was like, how do you even talk? I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, are we just going to pretend like nothing is going on? Are we just going to push on, like, forward? Are you, am I going to, like, I certainly don't have any answers politically or, or, I mean, it's just nuts. It's been insane. I mean, we, we know what happened in, I mean, there's been a series of hurricanes and whole islands being destroyed and family members evacuating and, and political upheaval, and now somebody just does what I can't understand. I mean, maybe I, I just can't, like I get revenge. This doesn't seem like it was a revenge deal. I can understand revenge. I can understand that, but I don't understand this. And it's just been a hard week. And so as I go to, to speak God's word, I would, um, I just need to pray because that's really the only answer that I have. And Father, I just, uh, would you join me? God, I come before you, and I mean, God, you are my only hope. This world does not make sense, Father. You're my hope. I trust that you're good. I trust you have a plan. I trust that even when I don't understand, you are still good. You are still good. So help me today. Help us today to see your goodness in the midst of an insane world to see something stable when everything around us is just shaking and falling down. God, to have our feet upon the rock and to see what your son did for us, God. May may I make much of you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're in the middle of a series, and you can, um, if you miss any of the services, they are online. You can go back and listen to them on our website, lakesidechurch.us, and just check them out. Um, Some people do that, and they, 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 text me and they're like, is it up yet? If they weren't able to be at church, if they were out of town. But yeah, we do put everyone on there. You can go back. And I've even started putting the sermon notes on there too. So you can go back if you want to follow along in that. But it's um, on lakesidechurch.us. You can find the messages. But we're in week three of this idea that life is messy, but God is faithful. I didn't know how messy life was going to get when we decided to talk about this. But, I mean, life is messy, and we do, have, we do have that style of messy. I mean, that's my life right there. I could have taken that picture with our four kids and one on the way. Life gets insane, and the house gets way dirtier than it does cleaner. I mean, it's easier to get dirty. It could take, I don't know, 15 minutes to get trashed and three days to get clean. I don't understand that. I mean, every week we take out bags and bags of trash, but we don't bring that into the house. So I don't know where it's all coming from. But life is, is messy, but God is faithful. And um, the idea that him being faithful is that he's worthy of belief. 
worthy of trust, dependable, and that he should inspire our trust. And there's a scripture I put on the very top. It says, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so today we're going to go back into the Old Testament, and we're going to look at a story from the Old Testament. If you don't know, the, the Bible's broken up into two main sections, the Old and the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament points towards Jesus. And throughout the Old Testament, um, God puts what I would like to explain when I explain to my kids, Easter eggs. Now, if you don't know what an Easter egg is, don't think of the thing that's colored and, you know, you put out at Easter and you hide. But like in some movies, there's Easter eggs, for instance, in Moana. If you have kids, you may have seen that movie maybe hundreds of times, but my kids have seen it. There's other cartoon characters inside Moana. So you watch Moana, and then there's Baymax in Moana on a pirate ship, and that, it's, it's showing that they're connected somehow. Or you watch some of the Marvel movies, and you see, if, if you're a Marvel movie person, there's, there's this movie going on, but if you know what to look for, this scene gives you a clue about something else. And they go back and they hide these Easter eggs, little hidden things inside of movies that point to something that the movie's not really talking about. Moana, if you don't know what it is, it's about a little girl who sings and goes around the ocean with the rock. <laughs> Baymax is the movie about a robot that's fat and has air in him, all right? Completely different movies, but Baymax is hidden inside there. So there's just a little Easter egg. And so when we read the Old Testament, it's a whole bunch of stories that you would look at them first and you say, Christ isn't in there. Like this is about Moses or this is about David or this is about um, Abraham. But Christ is hidden in there. There's, there's Easter eggs because everything in the Old Testament points towards Jesus Christ. And the New Testament is about him coming and what that means. But right now we're looking in the Old Testament. And we're going to read a story and it's filled with Easter eggs, little hints, Little things that drive us to Christ and help us to see him more clearly. And it's um, out of Numbers chapter 21. So if you have your Bible, you can look there. Or you can follow along on the paper or it'll be on the screen. Or you can just sit back and listen as I read it. It's whatever works for you. It says, When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was carrying on the Athirim road, he fought against Israel and captured some prisoners. Israel made a vow to the Lord. So they're traveling. This is the period, a little background. The whole nation of Israel, millions of people, is traveling through the desert, in case you don't know, because I want to catch you up. That way you know what's going on. They're traveling through the desert. Above them during the day is this cloud that they follow that keeps them cool. I mean, they're in the desert. You would really want shade. And then at night, the desert gets cold, right? Because in the day it's hot, at the night it's cold. That cloud was like fiery and it kept them warm. And they followed this cloud, which was God's presence, through the desert, going to the promised land. And at different times, things would happen. And that's what a lot of the Old Testament is about. So this one king captures some Israelites, imprisons them, and they make a vow. And they say to the Lord, if you will deliver this people into our hands will completely destroy their cities. Now, that kind of sounds messed up. All right, can we be honest? Completely destroy? And, oh, they destroyed. They knew what des destruction was. What you don't realize is that a lot of these pagan cities, they had really brought this destruction on themselves. They were sacrificing their children out in fire. 
to false gods. They were, they were completely against everything you and I would stand for. They were pretty wicked places. It's not like these were just peaceful people hanging out there and God said, yeah, let's go kill them. No, they were really wicked people who had, it says, the Bible says they'd heaped up destruction onto themselves. And so the, the Israelites, they made a vow. They said, hey, if you give them to us, then we'll go destroy their cities because there is a judgment coming. That's another Easter egg. The Lord listened to Israel's request, and the Canaanites were defeated. And Israel completely destroyed them in their cities, so they named the place Hormah. Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. So you guys, just so you know, they get attacked. Prisoners are taken. They vow to the Lord, God, if you help us and you let us defeat them, then we're like your servants and we'll do everything you want. They go over there. They defeat them. God answers. God's with them. He's flying over them in a cloud by day and night. He's in a little backstory. Every morning, they didn't even have to go out and grow their own food. Every morning, it said that this thing called manna, which basically means what? That's like what's with the translation. What? This thing manna would be on the ground, and it was this white substance that tasted like honey. And I just picture it like, imagine every morning you wake up and you go just scoop waffles out the ground or something like that. You know, like it was just this really tasty substance that they didn't even have to work for. They just woke up and did that. They're getting cared for, and they named it what? You know, that's kind of what manna means if you look it up. Like, what is that? And every morning they'd go out, and God was with them. They had, they had already seen the Red Sea split open. I mean, that would be one of the miracles that, I mean, you got to put on your list of ones you want to see happen. Like the ocean or the sea just divide. Rock, it says when they got thirsty that God would just make rocks spring water out. Like God was showing himself to be God. Some people say if God is God, then prove it. God was proving it to them. If there was ever a people that God said, I am the Lord, I am, I am with you, it was these guys. Every need they had was being met. And they set out. Verse 4. But the people became impatient on the, because of the journey. And the people spoke against God and Moses, and they said, Why have you led us out here from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread or no water, and we hate this waffle stuff you're bringing every morning. And the Lord sent poisonous snakes among the people, and they bit many Israelites so they would die. And the Lord came to Moses and said, I mean, sorry, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned by seeking against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord so that he will take the snakes away from us. And Moses interceded for the people. He prayed. And the Lord said to Moses, make a snake image and mount it on a pole. And when anyone who is bitten looks at it, he will recover. So Moses made a bronze snake and mounted it on a pole. And whenever anyone was bitten, he looked at the bronze snake and he recovered. This is a really weird story. Really weird. Let's just get that out in the open. This is really strange. People are following God. They're, they're obeying God. And then they start complaining. They start complaining even though every need they have is being met. Even though when their enemies came against them and they were like, God, if you could just help us out and help us take care of this, that'd be great. And God answers. Even though when they were hungry, they didn't have to go plow and they didn't have to go work. They just walked outside and picked it up. 
Even when they didn't even have to work for food. Even though they said that their sandals didn't wear out. For those years traveling through the uh, desert, it says their clothes, even their sandals weren't wearing out. Even though when they left Egypt earlier on, as they were leaving Egypt, the Egyptians gave them their gold and their silver, and they were like, just leave, go, never came back. So they have all this gold, all this silver, all these herds, food they're not working for, victory over their enemies, walking through oceans that are parting or seas that are parting. And they start to complain. It says, in, if you look up that word, like in their soul complaining against God. How many of us, I mean, look at what we have. Like if you read the Old Testament, one of the rewards you would get for doing something good is they would give you an extra change of clothes. Now you're like, what? Because that doesn't make sense to you. Because you've got a closet full of clothes. But picture a world where getting a change of clothes was like a big deal. That was like a new car. They would have had the prices right back then. Here you go, a pair of underwear. Yes, I need two. Thank God, this is great. Like you didn't have more than one. And, and that doesn't make sense to us. We have clothes we don't even wear, clothes we need to throw away, stuff we haven't seen in years, in the back of a closet somewhere. And we complain against God, like, oh, are you good? Are you with me? Are you there? It's very similar to what was happening with these people. They had food they didn't have to work for. I mean, our country, we complain against God. But I don't know a more well-fed country in the world. There's not. Even if you're poor in this country, you're probably got one of these that I have, right? Not everybody. I mean, I know there's hungry people. But we complain against God. Just And, I, and I'm not saying them. I'm saying we. We. Me. We complain against God. So God basically said, all right, well, here are some burning snakes. Thank you. You want to know that God is real? Thank God he doesn't do that kind of stuff. Imagine you wake up on a Monday and you're like, Monday again? I hate this job. I don't want to go. Where you're making decent money that can pay your bills. All of a sudden in your car. <laughs> God doesn't do that anymore. So be very thankful. But these snakes burst out. And they're going around the people. Now, we should pay attention to this story because God told the people to do something that almost doesn't make sense. You remember the Ten Commandments? At least, have you heard about them? Raise your hand if you heard about them. I know you probably can't quote them, but no judgment. You know some of them. You know the one that says, hey, don't make any graven image. Don't make anything in heaven or earth or anything that crawls or moves or anything. No, don't make any images. What do we have in this story? Make an image. That's a big deal for God. He was leaving us an Easter egg. Make an image, make a snake, put it on a pole, and whoever looks at this pole will be healed. Whoever looks at this pole. Later on, there would be somebody that would be raised up very high. In fact, if you go back to the word impatient, when it says the people grew impatient, it can also mean the word short. And when I think about that, knowing that I am short compared to other people. People grew short. Their inability to reach God 
They're complaining. They're, they're not seeing the goodness of God. They're not understanding who he is. And we all can become short. And God says, raise this thing up on a pole. Something a little higher than you could ever be. In fact, Jesus references and says, just like the snake was serpent was lifted up in the time of Moses, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who looks at me can live. There's an Easter egg in there. And so there's a couple of points I want to bring to you on the back. The first one, and this is very important, you need someone praying for you. If you read in this story, when the people sinned, Go back in and look. They sinned. They came to Moses. They're like, Moses, pray for us. Moses went and he prayed. He interceded. And you know what else? Every time they messed up, Moses was there interceding for them. Aaron. Aaron was the first high priest. That was like a big deal. He was the first one to really lead the, the priestly class and the system of sacrifices that would eventually point us to Christ. And, and it's not in that story. But when Aaron made a mistake, Moses went and he interceded before the Lord for him. And when Moses interceded, God moved. For some reason, the scripture says, where two or three are gathered, I'm in your midst. Jesus said that. You need someone interceding for you. I promise you, if you've been here today, I've been praying for you this week. But I don't think that's enough. Not that my prayers don't work, but like, do you want a little bit of prayer or just a, a touch? Well, if it works, you might want a lot. Or if it doesn't work, let's stop pretending and just stop praying because I got better things to do with my time. I personally believe it works. You need someone praying for you. That's why we give you these prayer cards. If you put a prayer request on that card, there is a team that will pray for you. In fact, there's a couple in this room that says, the reason we know this church is where we're supposed to be is because we put a prayer request our first day there, and we put it for our son. And it was like, we'd been praying for years, but your team prayed, and God did something in his life. You need to be able to put your prayer requests out there. When we have prayer at the end of service, you do not need to be ashamed. You do not need to be ashamed. In fact, when I'm on that side, I usually go and get prayer because no matter what the guy's talking about, I'm probably dealing with that. He could talk about any issue in the world. I'm like, yep, that's me. I need help with that. Now, you might have it together, but I don't. That's so why we have the prayer team, small groups. We've been having a great small group on marriage. Like, that's one of the coolest things. In fact, our dream team, the people that show up here every week and do all the stuff, that today we moved a coffin out of the lobby before you showed up. All right, they're going to do a play here. It's going to be spooky, so don't get freaked out. But there was a coffin in the lobby. I had to ask them, like, can you, Caleb, can you help me move a coffin? Never thought I would utter that sentence. But we moved a coffee, a coffin, not coffee, moved the coffin and put in coffee. All right, that's what they did in the dream team. But then you know what we did? We sat there and we prayed for each other. Because you know what? It's about the people. And we broke up into groups of two or three and we prayed for each other because you need someone praying for you. So if you show up early, you might move a coffin. Who knows what you do here? 
because they do all kinds of crazy stuff here. Or you can get some prayer. The next point, God's faithfulness is revealed in what Jesus did and what he is doing. What he doing. That's not good English up there. All right, forgive me. All right, what he doing. In what Jesus did and what he is doing. There's another word that fits up there. All right, don't judge me. All right, that's in this Bible. So what he is doing. So what do I mean by that? I mean, he was lifted up. Just like the scripture says, he died on the cross and he paid for your sins. In fact, that's one of your points. I'm going to show you what Jesus did and what he is doing. He died for your sins on the cross. You can put that point up there. That's one thing. So when he died on the cross, he took your place. He paid your debt. Your sins are forgiven. There is nothing between you and God because all of that anger, all of that frustration on your sin, everything that came against your sin, when you stole from your parents or you stole from your employer or you hit that guy's car and drove away and left him with a huge bill that he couldn't pay, whatever your sin is, Jesus took that, the payment for that. It is gone in him. That's a big deal. That way when God looks at you, that sin is gone. It's a transfer, your sin for his righteousness. That's a pretty big, wonderful thing that should excite us. Like that is good. If that's all that he did, that would be great. But what is he doing right now? What is Jesus currently? Like, what he did 2,000 years ago, we could talk about that forever, but you ever sit and you ever think and you're like, well, what are you doing now? Are you just, is he just hanging, up and hanging out in heaven, playing with the angels or flying around in a cloud? I mean, do you think about that stuff? Well, the scripture says that he's at the right hand of the Father and that he intercedes for us. So right now, this is the next point, Jesus is praying for you right now. He's praying for us right now. He's at the right hand of the Father, just as Moses interceded for the Israelites and said, you sinned, God sent snakes. Let me pray for you. All right, here's an answer. So right now, think about this. When you go on your day and you're angry and you're struggling and you're mad and nothing is going right, it's cool to think that maybe Chris or Lakeside Church is praying for you or you filled out the card and that's nice or there's a prayer team after church. But tomorrow... When it gets tough, be very thankful that Jesus is interceding for us right now. And he will never stop. He's making intercession. He sees your pain. He sees your struggle. He knows how hard it is. So cast your care on him. He's not surprised. He's not outmatched. He could take care of it. From cancer in your lungs to corn on your toes. I mean, like, he could do whatever he needs to do. Like, I want you to think about it. He cares about it all. I'm not making light of everything. I'm just saying we prayed for one person for their dog about to pass. God cares about that. They were like, oh, this might be silly. No, he cares about it. Somebody else, we could be praying for life-threatening cancer. He cares about that too. Cast your care. He's interceding for you right now. God's faithfulness isn't revealed in what he did and what he's doing. And so the last thing I can say right now would be look to Jesus and be restored.
Like, if you think about what it took, put yourself back then, come, come on a time journey with me. We're going to time travel. We're all out there in the desert. God has been good to us, and we're still complaining and whining because it's not what we want. I, just like my kids, I don't want one donut. I want two. <clears throat> and God sent the snakes. And they're going around, and they're, they're attacking us. And oh, somebody screams over there. Ah! And we're like, get away from that side. And so we all move over here. Somebody gets bit over here, and we move over this way. And the snakes are going, and they're biting. And God said, here's one thing you do. Look at this that I've raised up. And so they would get bit, some kind of viper, some kind of poisonous snake that probably made them burn. And you just look. Not a lot of work involved in that, right? It's not your works. It's not what you've done. It's not crawl yourself over to that snake, and if you could just touch that pole, you'll live. It's just look. No matter where you are, how far away it is, you may see it up big. You may see it from all the way across the camp. Just look. With Christ, it's not that you have your life together and you're looking at him and you're just right here and it's all perfect. Look at him. Because some people, if Christ was right here, some people could look on the outside like they're close to him, but they're really not looking at him. They're at church, they're on the dream team, they're in a small group, but their hearts have grown cold. And somebody else could be really messed up. And those are the people that I like. Really messed up, lots of stuff going wrong. But just look to them. Keep your eyes on them. And it's funny about your eyes. It's really hard to walk anywhere else. Like, I can look this way and walk, but I mean, there's just something about where your head turns... They teach you that in sports. You know, if you can move a guy's head, you can sometimes control his body. And where your head turns, where your, where, your, where your eyes are going, that's where you're going to wind up. So keep your eyes on Christ and then be restored. People come to church every week and they see Jesus. Don't let that be you. Turn your eyes to Christ and be restored. We have a testimony. Mandy's going to come down here. All right, so everybody give Mandy a hand. Now, she said, let me know if I go too long. And I said, I will. All right, but you guys don't. Let me do that. All right, anyways, so but that's, she's going to do great. Hey. Okay, so I wasn't saved from addiction. Um, I wasn't a diehard atheist. So I think I thought that my story was really boring because <laughs> I don't really have this story of a miraculous, huge change where people saw it on the outside. Um, but I started thinking, and as I was talking to Jason, my husband, I started to realize that being rescued is being rescued. And I was rescued from sin, from death, from hell. <laughs> and that's a big deal. <laughs> and um, so it doesn't matter what the story is. It's just I'm grateful to be saved. And I started to wonder if maybe I had a story that was similar 
to some of you, maybe even a lot of you, because we live in the South, we live in the Bible Belt. So I have a feeling that a lot of you might have been to church your whole life, and um, I was. I have been, uh, I grew up in church. My great, my grandfather was a, a pastor. My dad was a deacon. So I was baptized when I was eight. Uh, my other grandfather had just died. My little brother had just died. So I had heaven on my mind, and um, I knew I had heard, because I'd been in church my whole life, that Christians go to heaven. And so I wanted to go to heaven. So I started asking those questions. Well, how, what do I need to do to be a Christian? And um, I was told, I had been told my whole life, well, you need to accept uh, Jesus as your savior, savior and believe that he died on the cross to save you from your sins. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, why haven't I been baptized already? Because that's easy. I, I have been, I've been told that my whole life. I just believed it. I don't remember a time where I didn't believe that Jesus lived and that God existed. I don't remember that. I just believed it. Um, so I thought that was pretty simple. Done. Check, right? I was a Christian. So 10 years later, I'm sitting on the back row of our church with the youth group, passing a note. And I decide to tune in for a second. <laughs> I have no idea what he was talking about, the pastor. And I remember looking at him and thinking, is this really all there is to it? Like, I just believe and that's it. Um, and I just, I don't remember what happened after that. I just remember asking that question and like thinking for a second, like, hmm. And at the time, it was an insignificant moment. I don't know what happened after that. But looking back now, it's a really dramatic moment for me because I think that's when the Lord started to work in my heart and started to answer that question really slowly. Um, I know now, after having matured and having some hindsight, that what I was really asking is, if this is such a big deal, why doesn't it feel like a big deal? <laughs> why there, Shouldn't there be more to it? Shouldn't this be more exciting? Um, I mean, I prayed, I believed in God, and in my mind, I was good. I wasn't drinking. I wasn't smoking. I wasn't having sex out of marriage. Check, check, check. I'm awesome. You know, I'm a Christian. That's what made it made it true for me. Um, I had my own list of what made a person good, and I met all of my own criteria. And so I thought, hey, I'm awesome. I'm going to, I'm, you know, that's what makes me a Christian. And uh, everyone else should be good like me, too. Um, and I thought that I, on my list, was like, um, well, on my list is all the things that Jesus really hates. And so I'm not doing any of those things, and so I think you should join me. And I think that's how I presented the gospel to other people. And, I, you know, no wonder I didn't see many souls saved. Um, but this was the rhythm of the culture that I was involved with, or that was church culture for me. It was a rhythm. I just did it. You know, you go to church, you're good, you'll believe in Jesus. Oh, good right? Your own definition of good. And then you believe in Jesus, whatever that means. Yeah, he lived. God exists. I believe that. And um, if you mess up, you ask for forgiveness. Hopefully you really feel bad about it. And then, um, and then it's just this ongoing thing. You know, it's a, it's a cycle. But I sort of felt like something was lacking. Um, there was a disconnect somewhere in there that I just couldn't put my finger on. And um, over time, like I said, 
the Lord started to stir in my heart and started to bring up some questions. And um, I sort of so subconsciously started looking for, an, for an answer to that question. Is this really it? Is this all? You know, is this all there is to this? And um, he, uh, in his faithfulness, God uh, started to put people in, his li- in my life, and um, I started to piece together what was missing. So in college, um, I found myself completely lost in um, the transition. I didn't have the people that had been in my life as I had grown up. I was away from family. I was away from friends. I had been involved in a lot of extracurricular activities. That's how I identified myself as the good girl, as the girl that was the dancer, the cheerleader, the la la all that. Um, so all of that was gone. I wasn't in that anymore. So all of my like markers for identity were just gone. And um, I remember sitting in my dorm room one night after I had started the school year, and I was completely, I felt alone, really alone. And, um, and I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know who I was. I just remember feeling really empty. And so for the first time, probably, I sought the Lord. I was like, well, I better go make some friends. So I went to um, a Christian organization on campus, and I started making friends. I started going to a church. And um, and then I realized I was surrounded by other Christians that were my age that were actually reading the Bible. Like, what? I didn't read the Bible. <laughs> Why do I need to read the Bible? The pastor telling me what to what I need to think. So I never opened it, and um, I just believed what what people told me was in it, you know. And um, but these people, they believed it. They read it. They believed it intensely, and they were bold about it. And they were having these things called quiet times. I was like, wow, that is interesting. You read the Bible on your own by yourself, really, and you pray. Like, this was a brand new concept to me. I don't know why I had been brought up in church, but that had completely eluded me. So I was like, I better read the Bible, because I thought I knew what I was talking about, and I was slowly realizing, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea. So I needed to get in the Bible. So I started reading Matthew, because I had started in Genesis, and that did not go well. So I was like, you know what? Jesus shows up in Matthew. Let me start there. (laughs) And so that's where I started. And I will tell you that Matthew totally changed my life, totally, completely, 100%, absolutely changed me. But the most life-altering, mind-blowing impact that it had was out of this verse or these group of verses, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I read, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I was stunned. I thought, oh my gosh, there are people that were casting out demons. I didn't even know you could do that. And doing these mighty works, prophesying in his name, and they, he didn't know them? I was like, oh my gosh, he's not going to know me. He's not going to know who I am. I'm not doing any of those things. And he didn't know them. So I was scared. <laughs> I went to bed slightly terrified that, um, that he was going to come back. And I wouldn't know how to know him, how, how, how he was going to know me. So I was scared. I went to bed like, oh, oh gosh, this is a problem. <laughs> I've gone to church my whole life, and he's not going to know me. So... I don't know if I had my theology right that night or not, but what I realized right then in that moment was that the people that are going to go to hell are not just bad people, and they're not just atheists. Um, What did that mean? It wasn't enough to go to church. It wasn't enough to be good 
whatever that means to you. It wasn't even good enough to do big things, church things, in Jesus' name. Um, these people that were talking, or he was talking to in that verse, these people looked like they should be going to heaven. They looked like they had it together. Um, but something had to be different in their minds and in their hearts in order for Jesus to say that he knew them. I wanted to know what this something was because I might need it. And that's why I was terrified. I stayed in my Bible after that. I felt my eyes opening like I was waking up. Um, I don't think I looked very different on the outside because I was the church girl growing up. So on the outside, I don't think much changed. But the inside, my heart and my mind slowly started to change drastically. I wasn't the same person at all. Um, my question in the back row of the church, was there more to Christianity or what I had experienced in church? Yes, there was a lot more to it. Jesus wasn't just the set of rules that I had to follow, and that was it. Um, nothing would be as I had known it before. I came to understand that the missing piece of my puzzle, the thing I needed for him to know me, was I needed to know my need for him. I needed to know, like Chris said, I needed to know that, hey, I needed to look at the cross or I needed to look at that snake because I, I needed to be healed. Um, so it became clear that I had not experienced his grace. I had approached Christianity like a formula and like a script for life. Um, I had been caught up in this uh, cultural cycle of um, trying to be good, messing up, asking for forgiveness, hoping that I was really sorry, and then trying to change, getting up, trying again. It was awful. It was exhausting. I did a lot of um, justifying, lying to myself, even lying to other people to make myself look better. <laughs> and, um, and then I felt guilty. So this was awful. It was terrible. So the beauty of the gospel is that there's nothing that you can do to earn his kindness towards you or to pay him back. You have to simply accept your need for it, and your need for a Savior is met in Christ alone. I didn't understand that good behavior, godly behavior, is really just the overflow of the grace that he's poured into you. It's finally grasping and feeling the enormity of what Christ did for you. And it's out of that gratitude and that love that comes from that gratitude that is your obedience, that's, that presses you into obedience. Your behavior is your response to, not the requirement for, his work of salvation. When we get it wrong, there's grace to enough to cover us to get back up and keep moving forward. But if you're constantly tormented by your sin, or conversely, if you feel no effect from it at all, then you probably haven't accepted the power of his grace or his spirit. I realized when I was 20 that I had grace backwards. But he's walked with me ever since. He... Um, he dealt with me being ridiculously self-righteous and um, confused, but he stayed with me that whole time, and he continues to do that. He keeps changing me from one degree of grace to another and to his image. I'm thankful for that. Even last year, I tried to present. I was doing a devotion for a group of girls, and I wrote it down first to prepare, and I realized in this awful moment that staring back at me from the page was, again, a false gospel of works-based grace. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's still so ingrained in my mind. But thank God he was faithful. He didn't let me present a false gospel to those girls. He showed me. He taught me. He changed me again more. And I was able to tell them the real truth, <laughs> the actual truth that God does this. So there's three things I want you to take away. God is faithful. He has walked with me continually, even when I was ignoring him, misunderstanding him, misrepresenting him, replacing him. 
He was gently moving me back towards him. He, change, he doesn't change his mind about us. His love is not impersonal. It's deeply personal. It's not nonchalant. He's pursuing you. The second thing is, read your Bible, for goodness sake. <laughs> Don't be deceived by a false gospel that sounds really true. Um, get in there, know the truth, know his story. And the last thing, whether you have sat in a pew your whole life, or you have drug your drunk high, otherwise sinful self, <laughs> into or off the streets and into his presence, his work of redemption is the same for all of us. He is holy and he is perfect, and we are not in our sinful natural selves were not, so we need him. Christ died as the final blood offering needed to pay the wages of our sin, every sin, whether it's self-righteousness or something that seems more terrible. Um, he paid that. He paid that wage for us. He did it. It's all on him. All we need to do is believe it so we can really live. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Mandy. I love hearing uh, different people's stories, and so um, I don't know if anybody is going to go up there, but I love hearing different people's stories as far as where you're at, where I'm at. It's all different, but the thing is, it doesn't matter who you are. If the snake bites you, you're going to die, and we've all been bitten by the lies of the enemy. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It's probably wrong if it's not done in Christ, and so whether you've been self-righteous or you like me that was not self-righteous and took a lot of joy in doing bad. Um, there's mercy. There's mercy in Christ. And so right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give a few minutes. We're done here. But if you realize, like, like, like she said, if, if you've been on that treadmill of, you know, trying to handle your sin yourself, and it didn't even have to be a bad sin. It could just be a sin that drives you crazy because you know you don't want to deal with that. There's grace here today. There's grace in Christ. He's been interceding for you, and he paid for your sins on the cross. If you're in need of any kind, this is a great chance to get that need met. In a few minutes, we're going to have our prayer teams come up here so prayer teams you can start coming and we're going to have an opportunity for you to get some prayer man I know God is going to meet you I know God is going to meet you 